So this, this particular carol, um, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, is it's actually really, really old. And historically, it was written in Latin. And it was written in the 8th century. So we're talking long time ago. We're talking over a thousand years ago, this particular carol was written. What's interesting about this is it formed a part of seven different chants. This is the seventh chant. There are actually seven whole other verses that we could be singing. And what they would do is, on the lead up to Christmas, they would sing one each day. And each one starts with O. And they were called the O antiphons. And so what would happen is you'd start with O something, and then the next one would be O something else. And each one of these is about the name of Jesus, a specific thing to do with Jesus. This particular one that we have now turned into a carol, which got turned into a carol about the mid-1800s, this particular carol was sung on Christmas Day. O Manuel, O Come Emmanuel was sung on Christmas Day because it was a build-up. And so if you ever had the opportunity, because I kind of like history, and if you've been in this church long enough, you know that, and I like the fact that you can actually read how the story goes and over the seven days. So even though it's really old, and sometimes it sounds a bit slow and clunky, and you're kind of like, ah, it's kind of a boring one, it's actually really awesome if you break it down. Emmanuel, as Anna shared with us earlier, means God with us. How many of you have ever actually prayed that? Have you ever prayed, God be with me? God be with us? You know, God, I pray this all the time when the kids were young, God be with us as we travel to Wanganui so that the kids will behave themselves, that they're not going to fight. God be with us so that I don't kill them before we get there. You ever prayed something like that? Ever prayed when you go to the mall at Christmas time, God, be with us as we find a parking space and not spend the next 45 minutes circling around. You ever done that? One year we had that happen. We um, went to Sylvia Park and Craig says to me, I'll drop you and the kids off. Um, flick me a text as to where you are and I'll meet you. Took him an hour circling the car park to find one. And I kept saying to him, are you praying? You're praying, God, be with me as we find the car park? And then we even do things like we pray, you know, God, be with me when, you know, I'm having this exam, I've got this test or this assessment, God, be with me. And, you know, and God will. He's saying to you, yes, I will be with you while you're there. It just would have been really great if you had actually studied. Because he's not going to give you the answers, but he's just going to sit there with you and make you feel good about it. So have you ever prayed that? You know, God, be with me. In Matthew verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 21, it says, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Now, Matthew here is actually about to quote the prophet Isaiah. He's about to quote specifically Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And this particular prophecy... He gave 740 years before Matthew is telling the story. And I think that's actually kind of mind-blowing if you think about it. 740 years, a prophecy was given and is now being fulfilled. You may have prophecies in your life that were given when you were a child, given when you were young, and you might be thinking, is it ever going to pass? It will come to pass. It will come to pass. It may take 740 years, but it's going to come to pass. And the prophecy which he said is, is fulfilled in verse 23 of Matthew chapter 1. It says, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
You obviously don't understand. We will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. You're still not quite getting this. What you have to understand is this is actually earth-shattering news. What Matthew has just shared is so mind-blowing. If this was a movie, there would be this build-up music, and they would go, Emmanuel means God with us, and you'll hear this big, dun-dun-dun. No, you're still not quite getting it. Okay. You have to understand that what Matthew has shared was so amazing. Because every single person who was listening and every single person who was reading knows that there is no way God could be with them because they have been taught from the time that they were small that the God in the Old Testament cannot be with them because he was too holy. He was so holy that they would die in the presence of God. Moses comes along and he says, you know, God, you and I have got this amazing, awesome relationship. I want to see you. And God says, I love you, Moses, but that's just not going to happen. So what we're going to do, because Moses just kept going on, and God says, okay, there's this rock up here. You hide in the rock. And not only are you going to hide in the rock, I'm actually going to put my hand over you to protect you, and then I will pass by. And even though it was barely a glimpse, he didn't even actually see God. It was just the glory of the back of God as God walked past was all that Moses got to see. His face shone for days and days and days. So you have to understand, when Matthew has come along and he has said, Emmanuel, God with us, people's minds were being blown. There was so much so because not only could Moses, who was probably one of the most holiest of people, could not actually look upon God, the only time in the Old Testament that anyone could go into the presence of God was the high priest, and he got to do this once a year. And he got to go into the presence of God. And obviously something odd had happened the first few times because they learned that they needed to tie a rope around his leg. Because if God turned up, he would die, and then they got this problem of... How do we get the dead body out of the Holy of Holies? I often wonder myself, because they say we're going to tie, we have to tie a rope around his neck, because if he dies, we can drag the body out. I wonder how many times it happened before they kind of clicked onto that. Think about this. Why would they know that that's what they needed to do? Because God was so holy, there was no God with us. God could not dwell with us. And you've got to understand that Matthew is all of a sudden saying, He is with us. This is amazing news. This is why the shepherds ran off rejoicing because God was with them. This is why wise men traveled for between six to nine months to fall down and worship because all of a sudden, God is with us. You see, God is not a God now who's going to sit back and watch over us. He is not going to be a distant, uninvolved God. He is now God with us. He is in your presence. He is sitting there beside you. Do you not understand how amazing this was? That the creator and sustainer of the universe had decided no more would he be distant, but he would be a relational God. That he would come down, he would strip himself of all of his glory, and he would come and be like us, and he would come in the form of a baby who would be completely all God and all man without sin, and he would dwell on the earth so that he could be with us. This, because we have grown up under the New Testament grace, we do not understand how amazing this pronouncement was that Matthew made. How absolutely mind-blowing. 
Imagine being one of the shepherds who had heard that God is now with us. This God who was so distant, who was too holy, is now coming and dwelling with you. In John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is an awesome passage. It's absolutely one of my favorite passages in the, in the whole Bible. And if you read right through, it's, it's just that whole thing is just amazing. And you get to verse 14, and it says this, And the Word became flesh... And dwelt among us. All of a sudden, Matthew is actually saying, God is with you. God was with you, and God will be with you. This is absolutely the best news ever. The problem is, as I can tell sitting here, half of you don't even believe that. And some of you here today, maybe you don't believe in God at all, and that's okay. So of course you wouldn't believe this. But there are ones of you who are sitting in here and you're Christians and you have a relationship with God and you're sitting here and you're going, I don't feel him. I don't have any tingles. There's no goosebumps. I actually kind of don't believe that he is with me. And some of you, you might be in a really difficult spot. And one of the things about Christmas that I see is that over my lifetime, I've seen that Christmas is a magnifier. And what happens at Christmas time is that it magnifies things so that the good things in your life are magnified and seem even better. But the opposite is also true, that the bad things in your life can also be magnified and seem even worse. So we have Christmas, and so sometimes you're thinking to yourself, this isn't going so good, and I don't see God in this. Maybe you're facing an empty chair this Christmas. It might be through someone... Uh, a loss of relationship, might be because someone's passed away, might be through divorce, might just be because the family cannot make it home for Christmas, and so there's this loss on Christmas Day sitting there, and you kind of feel that, and you're like, I, just, I can't see God in this. Maybe you're experiencing some relational issues in your, in your marriage, maybe you've got some health issues going on, maybe there's some tension at work, and you're like, I cannot see how God is with me in this. Where is he? I can't see him. I can't feel him. Maybe some of you have done something foolish and you think, God doesn't even want to be with me because of what I've done. My whole point for today is that you would go away from here knowing and convinced and believing beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is with you, that God was with you, that God will be with you, and that he is always with you because he is Emmanuel. So I kind of want to break this down into three thoughts. The first one is, God is with you. I'm going to say this like a hundred times in this message. Until you walk away, until I start to say it and everyone's finishing my sentence. God is with you. Luke 1, 28. The angel said to her, her being Mary, the angel said to her, greetings. Obviously a very polite angel. Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. I find it interesting that the very first truth that this angel proclaims to Mary is something that she needed to know because she was about to go through something quite big that's quite important and a little bit scary, which was God is with you. The Lord is with you. One of the things that I don't think we realize enough that our God is the God of all comfort. He is the God who comforts us 
in our trials. He's the God who comforts us in our failures. And he's the God who comforts us in troubles. He's the God who comforts us anytime you need it. The word comfort, the Greek, the root word in the Greek is parakletos. Para meaning alongside and kletos meaning called to. Our God is called to minister to us in our times of trouble. If at any time you're in a time of trouble, whether it was of your own making or somebody else's, he is called to minister to you. He is called to come alongside. The problem is, is most of us actually don't believe that. You see, what happens is, is that we hear these things, but we don't believe these things. Your entire life and your entire perspective about the things that you go through and where God fits in them will change dramatically if you wouldn't just hear, but that you would believe. Because hearing comes from the word of God. You have to hear it, but you've got to believe it. It's a two-part. I can hear my kids say stuff when I'm reading. doesn't mean I actually paid any attention to it. I need you to pay attention. Your God is the God of comfort. He will be with you. He will come alongside you no matter how it is. I think one of the easiest things to explain it to you is in... Do you want to flick over to the photo? Yeah. So, in 2008, we decided just before Craig, because um, when we first came to this church, we, Craig was pastoring and working at the same time. And so, just before he came on full-time here and he, he, he left his job, we as a whole family, including, you know, extended family, we went to Australia in 2008. We went to Australia Zoo, which is probably one of the most scariest places on the planet. They have people walking around with snakes, not in glass boxes, just walk it, and then they walk up to you and they go, do you want to hold it? No, I don't want to hold it. Honestly, I spent most of my time a nervous wreck. I, I stayed directly on the path, and if there was a crowd of people looking at someone, I thought, there's probably a snake. Then we come back. Oh, it, was, it was a scary situation. Well, it was a scary situation for me. Anyway, so they had this guy walking around in this crocodile suit, because you know, Australia Zoo, home of the crocodile hunter, blah, blah, blah. So we're going along, and all the other kids had had photos with the crocodile, with the guy dressed up in the suit. Seth, nah, I'm not going. Come on, Seth. It's just a guy. The thing that was amazing about this is that Seth absolutely loves animals, so he had no problem with the real animals. Like, he had a photo taken with this baby crocodile, which he then turned around and kissed on the mouth, and the photographer's like, that's a wild animal. It will rip his face off. And I'm like... You know, but so he was fine. He he handled that, not a problem. This guy dressed up as a crocodile, absolutely petrified him. So my sister, who uh, one of my sisters was like, "Come on, Seth. You know, all the other kids are here. Come and stand with us and have a photo." Nah. Okay, then then and I um so in the end I get down. I said to him, "I'll come with you. I will come with you and have the photo taken with you next to the crocodile." Nah, nah. He's scary. He's not. It's even explained. It's a guy in a suit. Nah, nah. In the end, Craig comes up to him and he says, you've got to understand, Seth, your dad is with you. And when your dad is with you, no crocodile is going to get you. There is nothing to be afraid of. And at that, Seth very happily climbed up onto his dad's, in his dad's arms and went over and had a photo with the crocodile. What you've got to understand is that your dad is with you. In your times of trouble, in your times of stress, in your times of upset, in your trials and tribulations that you're going through, your dad is with you. Not a hired hand, 
not a babysitter, not a friend. Your Father is with you. The all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present God, he is with you. And no matter what circumstance you face, that actually changes everything. If you are lost and you don't know where to go, he's there as your guide. If you are hurting and alone, he's there as your friend. If you're in the middle of a trial, he is your comforter. If you are sick, he is your healer. If you are weak, he is your strength. If you are lost, he is your savior because he is with you. He is Emmanuel, God with us. The second thought I had about this is that God was with us. And I'll be honest, sometimes it's actually easier to see where God is in a situation if you're looking back on the situation than to try and see him in the moment because we focus too much on, on our hurt or our pain or whatever we are in the moment. But if you look back, you begin to see that God is with you. You can see it. I really think about the, the, the story of Joseph, and I'm talking about Joseph in the Old Testament, not Mary's Joseph, right? So if you think about Joseph in the Old Testament, if you don't know the story, you find it in Genesis. And here we have this young teenage boy, fairly young, and he decides, he has this dream, you see, and he comes out and he says to his brothers, and he's got 10 older brothers and one younger brother, and he comes out and he says, guys, I'm going to be the leader, and you guys are all going to bow down to me. So his brothers take this really well, and they say to him, uh, you're an arrogant punk, you're entitled, and we don't like you. That's, I'm just paraphrasing. That's pretty much what happened. So what happened is they had this opportunity when he was away from his dad where they actually grabbed him because he had mouthed off again. You know what like, younger siblings like? I've got three younger siblings. They're always cheeky and mouthing off when they should keep their mouths quiet. And so, <laughs> so when you had this cocky young, younger child coming in, he's mouthing off at his brothers. So they grab him this time because they've had enough, and they beat him up. And one of the brothers says, we should kill him. And the other brother goes, we can't do that. He's our brother. That's awful. Instead, we'll sell him into slavery because, you know, that's a much nicer option. So they take Joseph and they leave him in a pit for a while. And then along comes these guys and they end up by selling him. Joseph then gets sold into slavery. And as a slave, he is serving his master. And what happens in this situation is that uh, the wife of the master decides that she likes Joseph. And so she tries to convince him to go to bed with her. He, of course, actually does have some personal integrity, and he says no. He ends up by being falsely accused of, of rape, and so then he ends up in prison, which I always think is a little bit interesting because in those days they actually would have killed him. So I kind of think his, his master didn't believe his wife anyway. But anyway, it's a side issue. So he comes along and he ends up in prison. Now, this is not the nice prisons that we have. In comparison to what they had, our prisons are actually quite nice. For starters, they got fed. They get fed. They don't get fed there. There's no clothing. They're lucky if they get very much water. They only got small rations once a day. So he's in this awful situation. And you can look at his life and you can say, where is God in that? Where was God in that? Because here he was, uh, a fairly wealthy young man who gets beaten by his brothers, sold into slavery, falsely accused, and ends up in prison. So he ends up in this prison, and what we don't understand, if you don't know the story and you aren't able to look at the whole story in, from the beginning to the end, you wouldn't see that God was in there because God managed to take him from being sold into slavery to being the second in charge in Egypt. And he was able to save thousands of people 
from dying in a famine. Now on the surface, you're like, where was God in that? If you look over it, that pit became the passage that eventually led him to a position of power. Where was God in that? I'll tell you where God was. Genesis 39, verse 21, it says, But the Lord was with Joseph. That's where he was. When you look back, you will see that God was there. If you look back in your own life and you begin that process, you will see situations that you didn't realize that God was actually in. Looking back on my own life, um, as a young kid, my parents were not saved. And so what I find really interesting is that the Baptists used to put a bus on to collect all the children, which sounds dodgy. But they used to collect all the young children and run a Sunday school class. My parents, who were unsaved, put me on that bus. I started to hear about Jesus. My, when I was 15, my mom had a friend come and stay, and she took me to church. Why was she staying at a house? I'm not even 100% sure why she was there. It didn't make sense to me. But she was there, and God had his hand on that moment. God was with me in my past when I found out that I had Crohn's disease and became really sick. God was with me when I had to deal with losing and miscarrying our children. God was with me when I had to struggle through keeping the two that we got. God was with me. In fact, two years ago, God was with me when I got hit by a truck. I'm driving on the motorway. My tiny little Honda Fit and this truck, I was in his blind side. He couldn't see me. He's in the fast lane. I'm in the middle lane. He decides he's going to change lanes. And so he's also speeding. Cops verify that he's doing about 110, 115. He moves lanes, taps my back wheel, spins the car into the median barrier so that the passenger side slams into the median barrier, which then forces, forces my car to bounce back into the, the fast lane. And the truck's barreling down. I look up and I see the truck coming. And he's... He's speeding, we're on the motorway. Everybody was going fast. And as soon as the truck hit, it was one of those surreal moments where it was so in such slow motion, the truck hits, I watched the glass shatter on the window. And I said, I'm dead, you gotta catch me, God. And he hits me straight on the side, sends the car spinning across all three lanes of the motorway. And I managed to avoid every other vehicle and land backwards. And the ambulance who was following, who had seen it happen, they pulled up and they thought, these people are dead. And I walked out of there without a scratch because God was with me. I have no idea that God was going to be with me at that moment, but I can see that God was with me. When you look back on your life and review things, you will see that God was with you, whether you are aware of it or not, whether you knew about him or not. I'm telling you, I know that God is with me. I know that God was with me, and I know that he's with me today. I'm telling you that God was with you, and that God is with you today. And then the third thing is, God will be with you. No matter what you go through, God will be with you. I want you to think for a moment about the young teenage girl, Mary. Imagine if she could have seen the future. When the angel said to her, the Lord will be with you, imagine if she could have seen the future. Now, God doesn't allow us to see the future because, to be honest, it will freak us out, right? Some of the things that we've been through in our life, if you knew they were coming, you would have run a mile. But God, uh, the angel said to her, the Lord will be with you. And if she could have seen the future, here's what I believe she would have said. God will be with me when I conceive this child by the Holy Spirit. God will be with me when I tell Joseph. That would have been a tough conversation. 
God will be with Joseph when the angel turns up and says to Joseph, she's not lying. This is what happened. And God will be with us when we have to travel about 160 kilometers, 10 days on the back of a donkey. And God will be with me when we get to the inn and they say that there's no room. And God will be with me when I have to give birth to the Son of God in a stable, in a manger, surrounded by animals. And God will be with me when, I have to, when we have to run and try to save the life of our son when he's about three. And God will be with me when he's 12 and we can't find him and we discover that he was back in the temple asking questions and teaching people about God and saying to us, I have to be about my father's business. And God will be with me when I'm at a wedding feast and they run out of wine and I watch as my son performs the first of many amazing miracles that he's going to do by turning the, the water into wine. And God will be with me when I watch my son being falsely accused and persecuted. And I believe that Mary would have said, God will be with me as I watch my son suffer on a cross so brutally. As he's abused by people who he's actually dying for to save them as they drive stakes through his body. And God will be with me as I watch him suffer. And God will be with me when he looks up to heaven and he says to his father, it is finished. And God will be with me when he says, into your hands I commit my spirit. And God will be with me when the whole earth goes dark. And God will be with me when the whole earth shakes. And God will be with me on the first night as I wait and I wonder. And God will be with me on the second night as I wait and I wonder. And God will be with me on the third day when the stone is rolled away and the tomb is empty and he's not there. Because he is risen. Because he is Emmanuel, God with us. He's the God who was with us. He's the God who is with us. And he's the God who will be with you no matter what it is you're going through. You've got to understand that if you could see what is coming, you would know that it is God with you. Can I just get the band up, please? Paul said it this way. He asked the question, who shall separate us from the love of God? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble? No. Or hardship? No. Persecution? No. Famine? No. Shall nakedness? No. Actually, not quite sure why nakedness is in there. It's a little odd. But if you're naked, it's not going to separate you from God. Shall danger? No. Or the sword? No. And all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither the height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you understand nothing else, if you leave with the thought of nothing else, leave with that thought today, that there is nothing, not one thing that will be able to separate you from the love of God. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. You will never be alone. Nothing will separate you, not your fears, 
not your doubts, not your insecurities, not your mistakes, not your theological questions, not the things that you can't explain, not your brokenness, not the mistakes or the failures. Sickness can't separate you. Divorce can't separate you from God. Not what somebody did to you can separate you and not what you've done to other people can separate you from the love of God. Not your broken dreams. There is absolutely nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. Because you have the love of Christ. He loves you so. He was, he is, and he will always be with you. Why don't you get to your feet? Revelation 1.8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. The God who will be with you at the end and at the beginning. Even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are not alone. Why? Because it's God is with us. It is written, Emmanuel. The real question that needs to be answered today is not what's going to separate you from God because there is nothing that does that. But the real question that we need to ask ourselves is, are you with God? Are you with God? I want us to take a moment to close your eyes so that you can block out any distraction. Because this is, this is one of those conversations that you, have, you need to have with God. You need to be honest in this conversation. Are you with God. He is Emmanuel. He is more, and more than anything else, he wants this opportunity to reveal his love to you, to reveal his character, his nature, his goodness. More than anything else in this world, he wants you to be in relationship with him. He wants you to love him with your heart, your mind, and your soul, and your strength. And he's not a God who is far off or distant or uninvolved. He is a relational God who came to earth to reveal himself to you. He's come to forgive any sin that you may have committed so that you could have eternal life. And it would be remiss of me to assume that every single person here is in a relationship like that with Jesus. So just while everybody's eyes are closed, no one's looking around, this is that moment where you have to ask yourself, am I with God? And if you aren't with God, I want to pray for you so that you are with God. So if you're someone sitting here and you're like, I need, I need to be with God, can I just ask that you just put your hand up and we pray? Just right now, just lift your hand. Maybe you're also a person who's like, actually, I've been struggling. I, I haven't felt God in my world. I haven't felt God um, in any of these situations, and, and I'm not really believing that God is with me, but you want to believe that God is with you. I don't know what situation you're in. I don't know what your struggles you're facing, but you, sometimes we need to know and have that tangible feeling of God is with me. So if that's you, I'd like to pray for you this morning, just where you are. So if you would like prayer for that, just ask that you just raise your hand, and we'll pray that you would sense God with you this morning. God, I just ask that every single person here, Father, Lord, would have a measure of knowing that you are with them, that you are Emmanuel, God with us. God, that not one person would leave this Christmas season, Father, not knowing that you were there. 
God, that what each person, no matter what trial or tribulation or trouble or stress that they're under at the moment, God, that they would have the knowledge that God is with them, that it's Emmanuel, God with me. And God, that they would actually begin to look back and see all the times that you were with them. God, that will give them faith to believe that you are with them now and the promise that you will be with them in the future for whatever they face. Thank you, God. That you would come, Emmanuel. That you would come and be with us. Thank you, in Jesus' name. Amen.